Well, I agree with your pastor. I think that was a great message. And I know a lot of people evaluate messages based on the noise, based on, uh, I like to call them glory messages. You ever get in a meeting like this and, and all the preaching is, you know, just kind of always has to be super exciting and super frothed up and everybody's got to be shouting amen and all that stuff the whole time. And I get that. I'm all for shouting amen. I think we got a lot to shout amen about, don't you? Uh, but sometimes it's really good, especially I was thinking about it while, while Brother Pilkington was preaching. From a pastor's perspective, okay, that was a great message. From a young preacher's perspective, what's he doing? But from a pastor's perspective... That was a great message. Um, there's two, those are two different things. You understand what I'm saying? Um, I listen to older guys when they talk like your pastor. And um, I'm glad to know he gets discouraged because he doesn't show it. <laughs> but I do. I think it was you and I talking yesterday, wasn't it, about one of my little things that every once in a while pops up in my head is about 50 acres out in the mountains in North Carolina somewhere. I got it planned out, 50 acres, a single wide, single wide trailer, three or four German shepherds outside because I'm kind of allergic to the hair and I don't like it all over everything. So three or four German shepherds kind of just roaming the property outside and three or four pit bulls inside. And, uh, and I think that would be my perfect world. And I, I made the mistake of mentioning that to my wife one time and she said, well, where am I in the picture? Said, You're with me, of course. You and I just went away into our little paradise, but... Uh, every once in a while, that is exactly uh, how it feels. I think one of the reasons that we get discouraged in the ministry or in serving the Lord, you as a Christian gets discouraged too. It's not uh, exclusive to people in the ministry. I think we get discouraged because of our expectations. Uh, I think we, we want and look for and expect certain things out of serving God. And I think when our expectations are off and... What we're hoping for doesn't pan out. We get discouraged. So I'd like to kind of, if I can, uh, zero us in tonight. And I think I have the right message. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. And I hope and pray that that's the case. If God gets in it, it'll be a message. If not, uh, we'll just waste your time for a little bit and then we'll leave. So let's pray God gets in it. But in 2 Kings chapter 2, if you would turn there, uh, I think we have a, a great illustration here of somebody who didn't set his expectations too high, didn't really know what to expect, but he did have something that he wanted. Did you hear what I said? He was given no expectations in this story whatsoever, but he had something that he wanted. And as a result, things in his life probably turned out a whole lot better than he ever expected. The story as you know it here is the story of Elisha and Elijah, and we all know the story. Let's go ahead and read it if you don't mind. In verse number 1 it says, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord thy God will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. 
Now, notice what's about to happen, and somehow or another, it's a weird deal because the sons of the prophets know all about it. Elisha knows all about it. Elijah knows all about it. So I, I don't know how the word got out or how everybody knew what was going on, but this is actually a pretty big deal going on. In verse number four, and Elijah said unto Elisha, Terry, here I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets which were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. So in modern vernacular, what I think he's saying to him is, Yeah, I know. Shut up. Quit telling me about Elisha leaving. I'm aware Elisha's leaving, so shut your stinking mouth, you guys. Leave me alone. That's what I think he's saying. Verse 6, And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. Now, I know I'm using my sanctified imagination, so forgive me this if I'm wrong, but here's how I think it went down at this point. I think at this point he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee, Elijah. Because repeatedly Elijah says, stay here. And he says, no, I'm staying with you. And then he goes to stay here. No, I'm staying with you. And he's, stay here. No, I'm not going to stay here. You know you're leaving and I know you're leaving. And you've been here for, I've been here for 10 years following you around. Don't we have something more between you? I mean, I'm not like the sons of the prophets. Haven't we been together a while? What in the world, Elijah? Why are you trying to dump me and keep moving? I'm going to be there when this takes place. Then Elijah looks at him, verse 7, 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. So all these little jerks are standing over there, pulling up the live stream, you know, checking the Facebook page because they want to stick their nose in somebody else's business. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. I know you want something, boy. What do you want? And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Watch it. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I'm taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. You know what he gave him after ten years of loyal servanthood? No expectations. He said, I don't know what God's going to do with you, in you, or through you. And so here's what I'll say as a prophet. This is what God's letting me tell you. If you see me go, then you got it. If you don't see me go, you didn't. <laughs> now watch. Verse 11. It came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and, and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. Now watch him. He took hold of his clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? 
And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. You see the question he asked in verse number 14? Where is the God that used that man? You see the mindset and the mind frame that Elisha, the great prophet, was in. Don't forget backing up the story. He already prayed, so we're good to go. Before he, he, backing up the story just a second before we get to this point, don't forget that in Israel, the place is shot. And we can't be, uh, you know, lazy to make the application of the fact that those are God's people. So if you had a, a, a practical application of that today, it would not be America as we know it. It would be not be our nation, our founding fathers, and all that other garbage. If you looked at this thing practically applied today to put yourself in, Elijah, in Elisha's shoes and say, really, where am I at with God? Am, am I one of those faithful men or not? And what does God plan for me? If you really want to put yourself in his shoes, you've got to look at what he's honestly dealing with in the day and age that he's in. The nation is shot. They're worshiping Baal. He, God tells Elijah, I have 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. Well, I wondered what that meant. I mean, like, that 7,000, that's a lot. Well, I went and looked up how many people would have been in Israel at this time. The estimation is somewhere between two and a half and three million. That would mean, if I did my numbers correctly, that 99.75% of the people we're bowing to Baal and worshiping his image. That would mean 99.75% of the people that claim to be saved, the people that are in churches, the people that are serving God are just completely shot. They're really not God's people at all. And there's 7,000. There's this tiny little, little remnant, this tiny little group of people out there that are still serving God. And in spite of all that, Elijah continues going on. And Elisha says, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to follow this man around faithfully as just the second man, as an absolute nobody. And I'm just going to pour water on the hands of Elijah because there's something about Elijah that is different than everything else I'm seeing in the world. He, literally, his expectations for the ministry were set very fairly because he had a man to look to who was totally honest in front of him. It was like, this guy ain't playing big preacher, man. This is the reality of the ministry. And something inside that younger man saw what that older man had. And something drew that younger man to that older man. And that something, I'll tell you right now, was not Elijah's personality. It was the God that had his hand on that man. And that's what Elisha was looking for in life. What are we looking for when we come to church? I think it was you that said earlier this week, your preacher friends all say one of the number one questions they get is what's for our kids? That's <laughs> what they're looking for when they come to church. The sad thing about our crowd is I think a lot of us, a lot of our crowd are just looking for something to do to serve the Lord. I want to be involved. 
I have it all the time when they come to my church, especially if they come from another church. It's like, well, we want to be involved. We want to be a part. We want to do something. We don't want God to put us on a shelf. And so everybody has these expectations of what it means to be a part of a local Bible-believing church where God is, where things are happening and souls are getting saved and the Bible's being preached and the song services are, are wonderful. I mean, the preacher's getting up and can't even hardly preach because the singing has got the touch of God on it. There's some gifted people doing what God called them to do, doing what God gifted them to do, and that is an exciting environment to be in. It's great to sit in church and just like, I actually want to be here. I didn't feel like coming, but now that I'm here, I'm super glad I'm here. I mean, I'm wore out and I'm just absolutely frustrated and aggravated, but man, did I need that. And so it's like, I want to be involved. I want to do something. I know your preacher and, and uh, what I've heard of him, if I'm not getting it wrong, He's very burdened to see some following generations catching on to the burden, to the call, to the ministry, to what God's doing. That seems to be a consistent theme. And some of you young guys, some of you young guys, and he's a, he's a living example of somebody that just loves the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm guaranteeing you, and I'll just say this, excuse me, I hope I'm not out of line here, but I'm guaranteeing you that if you want to find fault, you can. I tell my church all the time, I know I'm not perfect. But I really am trying to do what God has for me to do. I really do want to serve Jesus Christ. I really am looking for something out of my life. And I'll tell you, I'm looking for a double portion of what I've seen God do in other men. But what that does not mean is that my ministry has to be twice as big as theirs. That's not what I'm talking about. I thank God for the place that God had put me. I thank God for the men that God had put me around. I'll never forget many years ago, and I, I, I hope I'm not out of line here. I, I really do think through this stuff, and I, sometimes I hate using personal illustrations, okay? Because I, I never want to come across like it's about me. Does that make sense? I want to come across the right way when I use them. And I absolutely despise it. I despise it when I get around younger men that I think are using the names of the men that have helped them to promote themselves. I'm sorry, it makes me want to stinking. <laughs> I'll stop, it's not my pulpit. And I don't want to come across that way. But man, when I sit back and think about all that God has done for me, all that God has given me, before I was born, my parents joined Galilean Baptist Church and they were sitting under Dr. Noe's ministry. My dad was a deacon in that church. My whole life growing up, I, I remember a couple of different things. I remember sitting there in the pew and looking up because they had wood ceilings with huge arches, a massive sanctuary, a really big building. And I would look up and they had lots of lights and if I crossed my eyes really hard, I could double all the lights and I would try to count them with my eyes crossed. But you know what else I remember? I remember a crippled up old man who had gotten tuberculosis and his leg was messed up like that, sitting on a bar stool beside, behind the pulpit and he had a platform built up on top of that with a bar stool on it and sitting there to preach and thumping on that pulpit. And I remember one day he hit the edge of that pulpit and peeled his knuckle off and he was bleeding all over the place and he just held it like that and kept on preaching and somebody went and got him and he just putting some band-aids on it and just kept preaching. I can still remember him preaching on the giants in Canaan land as a little boy. 
What a privilege, what a privilege it is to be able to say that I was almost six years old. It's 45 years in, in October. It'll be 40 years in October. At almost five years old, Dr. Ruckman was there, and I never went to PBI, and Dr. Ruckman didn't know me, and I didn't know him, and none of that stuff, but I remember him coming and preaching every year. And I remember being mesmerized. It was more than he could draw. There was something about it that I didn't know how to define. I know now it was the Spirit of God. And I remember him drawing those souls being cast into hell and turning around holding a chalk like that and he was flipping his hand like that and he was saying something about you're going to fry like a sausage or something like that and his hand was all black. And that growly voice that I wouldn't try to copycat out of, out of respect scared me to death. I went home that night and my dad knelt down with me next to my captain's bed and trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Amen. Man, what a blessing. My dad was a pastor by the time, from my time I was 11 for 18 years after that. And I had a hard time as a teenager and I got right with God and the uh, devil, devil made a play for my life. I went off to the big Bible college, man, big fancy Bible college. And, and the head of that college was a, was a, was a, he was a cool dude from a manly perspective. I remember seeing him chewing out one of the professors in the hallway. I mean, he had his finger in his face. He's chewing him out. That Professor Stanley, yes, sir, no, sir, no, sir. The way he carried himself, he had such authority. But something wasn't clicking. See, God, God didn't allow me to click with him. I, I'm talking about God. I'm talking about expectations for the Christian life. I really, really looked up to him. And I realized after I'd been there a year and all he'd ever did is give me a dirty look, stare at me with a scowl on his face. He'd lock eyes with me from the platform, hundreds of kids, uh, I think 700 kids in the school back in that day. He'd lock eyes with me from the platform. See, I'd been asking questions in the Bible classes because I'd been raised in the King James Bible, but I was a rebel. And I figured, well, if I can, I don't care what the truth is. If these guys are all wrong about the King James Bible, I'm going to find out and I'm going to just side with whoever's right. So I'm taking the Greek classes and all the rest of that stuff, and I'm asking questions. And my mom got burdened for me, and she would have been mailing me uh, Ruckman commentaries. <laughs> and somebody in my dorm went and told him. I didn't know he knew. And I started asking my questions and words getting up to the top, and then my mom said to me, she said, hey, Mike, guess what? Uh, you remember Brother Lentz? I said, yeah, I do remember him. She said, well, I'm friends with his wife, and, and Cheryl told me that, she, that, that Jim said to give you his number. You can call him and ask your questions. So I've been calling him, asking him questions. And I'm getting the scowls from the platform. Well, I met my wife. She'd been on the campus for two weeks. She came the second year, and, and she met him, and he liked her. And so she came walking up the sidewalk there, hey, doctor, so-and-so, and she's going all prancing up to him, I want you to meet my boyfriend, and he goes, hi, Gracie, how are you? I'm good, I want you to meet my boyfriend. He looked at me, he looked back at her, he said, what are you doing with him? You can do better than that. Well, he was right, he had a lot of wisdom, but you know, I'm just, I'm just talking, I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about expectations. You know what God did with me? God took me away from that big Bible college where all the sons of the prophets were and put me in a tiny little church in the mountains of North Carolina. I was sleeping on the pew. 
Everything I owned was in my car. I went there. I didn't go to PBI. I went there to learn the Bible because that's where I believe God was leading me. And there was an old Elijah there who had something that I wanted. And I didn't know how to define it, and I wasn't sure what it is, and I didn't know what to expect. But I'll tell you this much. It wasn't some great big ministry because he had a church smaller than this. I remember asking him one day, I said, how is it that such a great preacher like you has such a small church? I said, how do you even, ha- I'm just so young and dumb, I'm, I feel so embarrassed, but I did ask him that. I said, you're a great preacher, how, how do you handle having such a small church? He looked at me, he said, I'm just glad God gives me a pulpit to preach in every week. See, that sunk in my soul, I never forgot. I remember after the end of one service, I went up and I got on the platform and I asked God for a double portion of his spirit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he wasn't setting unrealistic expectations for me. That was the first preacher I ever got around that was the most real man you ever met in your life. He didn't pretend like he was happy when he wasn't. He, he, he hurt my feelings more than one time. I mean, more than one time. He is the only man, and I would never tell him if he was here, but he is the only man I know of that ever, well, there might be one other, that ever made me cry as a grown man, made me cry because of what he said to me. Hurt my feelings that bad, made me cry. But he had something about him that to me, I said, I want what that guy's got. You know, you know what ordination is, right? It's when somebody lays their hands on you publicly and says, this man's called to the ministry and praise God for it and we recognize the call of God on him and we want to lay our hands on him and pray over him. And what they're doing is they're handing you their credibility, right? Amen. Yeah. Where are you from? Who you been following? See, that's an important thing that I think we forget sometimes. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm at Brother Lintz's church, and, and Brother Lintz passed away before I was ever ready to be ordained. I actually had the privilege of being ordained by Brother Rick Sowell uh, years ago at Hope Baptist Church, and some good guys were on that ordination board, and that was my public ordination. That was a blessing. I think there's a responsibility to that. When Brother Sowell gave me my ordination certificate, he said, Mike, if you ever change where you stand now and what we know that you believe now and what you represent now, since this has Hope Baptist Church of Toledo, Ohio on it, I want you to be man enough to come get this, give this back to me because I don't want to come get you for it. There was something there. There was a responsibility, and I said in front of all those men, yes, sir, if I ever stop believing the King James Bible, stop rightly dividing the word of truth, I'll give this back to you. He said, okay, then I'm happy to give you your ordination certificate. But you know what God did for me before that? An old Carolina classic, Brother Lentz, went and he got me. And he said, come here, I, got, I, I, I want you for a second. And we walked into the treasurer's office, and sitting on the desk was Dr. Ruckman. That's the only time I ever spoke to him in my life. Grew up listening to him from a little boy. And he shut the door behind him. And you know Brother Lentz, you've heard all the stories and all that stuff. He was, a, he was a man's man, boy. And he said, hey, preacher. And he started crying. He said, this kid means something to me. I was a no, absolutely nobody. You understand that? I was a nobody. I had no connections to anything. I didn't have, to be honest with you, I didn't have one friend in the world. He shut the door behind me and he said, this kid means something to me and I want you to pray over him. And I took my moment. It's my chance in the spotlight. 
Dr. Uckman. And I said, I just want to tell you that I got saved. Told him my story. When you were preaching, I was five. I was scared to death. And he started crying. You got Brother Lintz standing there with tears in his eyes over the next generation. And you got this old man, his pastor, sitting there with tears in his eyes and prayed over me. You know what I didn't realize for a few years? I remember walking out of there feeling dizzy. You know what took me a few years to realize? I kind of think that, I kind of personally think that that was an ordination between me and God, just a spiritual one. What I'm trying to tell you is that when you're in a church like this and when you come from a, a spiritual bloodline, do you understand what I'm saying? There's a spiritual bloodline that we're all in. I mean, we're sister churches. That's how I see it. I, I see it that we're family. I see it that we got the same body of doctrine. I see it that we got the same God. I see it we got the same, the same, the same Bible, the same background, all that stuff. When you're in a spiritual bloodline, there's a responsibility that comes with that spiritual bloodline. There is something here that is bigger than every single one of us. And as we get closer and closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, our little churches, our little 0.25%, our tiny little quarter of a percent, we are going to be more and more under attack by the world, under attack by the flesh, under attack by the devil. Listen, the sons of the prophets are all going to be saying, hey, don't you realize your master is going today? Don't you realize it is over? When Elijah's out of here, everything that he represents is done. Like they were saying when Dr. Ruckman was dying, they were saying, oh yeah, you see what comes of the King James issue. Let me tell you about the King James issue. It ain't going nowhere because the word of God is bigger than one individual man. Amen. And I want my expectations to be real. I don't know what's coming. Neither do you. I don't know if I'm going to wind up in jail. I think it's very realistic for me in my lifetime. And if you're 20 years behind me and called to preach, I'll just about guarantee it's realistic for you. That if you get in your pulpit and say it is a sin to be a homosexual, you could get in trouble for hate speech. I don't know what the expectations are, but I'll tell you this much. I do have something well within my grasp that I can ask for. Where is the Lord God of all those guys? I mean, realistically speaking, let's look at it and look at your Bible and think about it for a second. Realistically speaking, did Jeremiah have good results from his preaching? But did he have God? Are we not still reading what he wrote? Are we not still preaching him? Is he still not an example? Did God not do great things with that man? Elijah's asking the right questions and he has the right expectations. And I think Elisha is, and I think that's why you and I know his name. It's because he wanted the right thing. He knew what he wanted. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Look at what he did. And it's something you and I need to learn from. Because the pressure is going to mount and it's going to continue to mount. It, it, it aggravates me. And I already see it on your preacher, just the, the concept, the thought of, of pastoring a church and of doing the work that God's given me to do and being excited about it and, and experiencing, maybe not on the same level that those guys did, but we're experiencing something of the presence of God, aren't we? I mean, isn't it a blessing? 
to think that after I die, some little twerp's going to come in there and take my church a different direction. Look what Elisha did, and I think it's what you and I need to do tonight. He burned his bridges. Look at verse 2. Elijah says to Elisha, Terry, here I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. He's socially burning his bridges. He does it again in verse 4 and again in verse 6. We already, we already read it. Elijah is saying, Elisha, stay here. And Elisha is saying, no, I'm not leaving. Why? Because God's on you. Because God's doing something with you. It wasn't that he wanted his ministry. Do you understand that? That's the thing. It wasn't that he was sitting there saying, I want to be the next preacher. I want to have a ministry like that. That's not at all what happened because as it plays out, Elisha's ministry does not wind up looking like Elijah's ministry. Things pan out totally different. It was not about the ministry. It was not about, yeah, I want to be the lonely, depressed prophet that wants to kill myself, that has a bunch of crazy people wanting to kill me. I want to be the only prophet left when they've slain all the prophets of God. That's the guy I get to be. Yeah. It wasn't about any of that. Elisha is saying, look at God on him. He has something that's bigger than everything else going on in Israel around us. There's a presence to him. There's a power on him. He's got something real, and I want that. So he's willing to burn his bridges, even when the old man offends him. He says, okay. As long as you'll let me tag along behind you, I will. He doesn't just burn his bridges socially with Elijah. He burns his bridges with all the sons of the prophets. They're always there to drag you down and discourage you. There's always somebody among the brethren who are there to tell you it ain't going to work. Oh, you go to that little church? I'll guarantee you, if you're anything like my church, since you're human, I'll bet you you are, I'll guarantee you there's people in this room that have gotten some flack from other saved people because you go to this church, Anchor Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. I got people absolutely call my church a cult. Absolutely torture some people in my church because they go to this church. There was one young man that said to his parents, he said, I'm not going to stop until I get you out of that church. His goal in life was to get his parents out of my church. Well, you better burn your bridges socially. Because if you're not willing to burn your bridges socially, listen to me, you will never experience the presence of God in your life. This world is not interested in your Savior. A lot of the brethren are not interested in your Savior. The sons of the prophets in the schools of the prophets, all the preacher boys had terrible advice for Elijah. But Elisha had a desire to experience the God of Elijah on such a level that he didn't care what everybody else said. Didn't concern himself with the sons of the prophets and the comments that they were making. Folks, I would rather die trying than die and never have tried. Does that make sense? People are always going to tell you it can't be done. Listen, if the Lord tarries, 
I'd be willing to bet you, if the Lord tarries, that somewhere in this room, somebody that's called a God to preach or going to be called a God to preach is going to have to go somewhere and do what he did here. shouldn't say that. Yeah, well, I mean, other people have gone and started churches, and the Lord tarried long. He told you already this week he didn't think he'd be here this long. I mean, I don't think we're going to be. I really don't think so. But what if? You know what everybody's going to tell you? Oh, don't do that. You can't do it that way. You can't do it that way. You can't do it. I've heard them telling me that all the time in my church. Well, you, you can't do it with the old hymn books. You can't preach like you preach nowadays. People aren't going to come. Well, my question is, okay, well, great. If me and God show up, that's a whole lot better than me and a bunch of goats. Amen. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? It's not about growing my church. That's not my job to grow the church numerically. My job is to say, God, where are you at? God, I want a double portion of that spirit. God, I realize that you're out there. I realize you're still working in the world. I realize, listen, souls are still getting saved. That's an awesome thing. I mean, people are still coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they do that through the foolishness of preaching. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Hey, if it's getting bad and getting worse and getting darker, it is not time for us to give up and get discouraged and set expectations that aren't real. It's time for us to recognize that the God that did it before can do it again. Amen. Say, I want the God of my forefathers. That's awesome to me when one person gets saved. Amen. They used to see him saved 20, 30, 40, 50. Yeah, they did. You're not seeing it anymore, are you? So sit around and cry about it and get discouraged. And stop witnessing. Stop telling them. Stop trying. Or you can just get a little crazy. Just go out on a limb. Just give it a shot. Because you're looking to see God do something. Yeah. Folks, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about pressure to soul win because we need to be soul winners and pressure to soul win, pressure to soul win. I'm talking about looking for God that's still working in the world around us and saying, where are you at, God? And wherever you're at, plug me in. That's what he's doing. He's following Elijah and he's saying, well, hey, look, man, I want what you got and I'm not giving up till I get it. He burned his bridges. He didn't allow himself to go back. He would not give up. Look in verse 10. He said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall, not be, so, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. He had no promises. Will you serve God faithfully, faithfully at Anchor Baptist Church if Pastor Elliot never asks you to be a deacon, never asks you to be a treasurer, never asks you to run anything or teach anything, never gives you an opportunity to preach in his pulpit? Because God is here. You're sitting under a man that believes the King James Bible. He doesn't say it. 
because he makes money on it or because of his social influence, but secretly he's looking it up in other languages and correcting it behind the scenes. He believes the book. You all testify all the time and everybody else testifies. His testimony is he loves Jesus Christ. I'll tell you where God is. If I lived in Dayton, Ohio, here's where I'd be, right in one of these pews. And if he never shook my hand and never said good morning and walked right by me and ignored me, that would have to be beside the point. Because Elijah was that way with Elisha from what I could tell. When he went by to anoint him after he was all messed up over there like we looked at last time on Monday, he said, through with it, hey, I need to go back say goodbye. He said, go on, what have I done to you? How about that? What kind of a pastor? You know what he had made up his mind? He said, since God's here, I'm here, and that's that. Because my expectations are, I want God. You know what's a wild thing about this story, and I'm almost done. I'm going to get you out of here. I know you're tired. Wild thing about this story. All the way up to this point, you know what Elisha's been doing? He's just been dipping. That, folks, that is all Elisha's been doing is dipping. All Elisha's been doing is, in this passage, all he's looking for is something special from God. He doesn't even know what that is. He's just saying a double portion of what is inside of you, a double portion of that's what I want. You follow that? He's not looking for fame. He's not looking for money. He's not looking for power. He's like, man, God is real, and God's been using that guy, and that guy's made it through ups, and that guy's made it through downs, and that guy's made it through people attempting to kill him, but God's on him, and so I want what I've seen in him because he's as human as I am. He's as weak as I am. He's as frail as I am, and yet he's got a touch on him that's just different, and that's what I want. He's looking for something that only God can give. He's telling a tale. He's writing a tale. He's writing a story. He has no idea at this point, in this point in his life, right here in 2 Kings chapter 2, he has no idea that his story is going to go twice as long as Elijah's and he's going to do twice as many miracles. He has no idea. And he doesn't need to know because there's no guarantee that that's the story. He's just counting his days, and today's the day. And today's the day his days are up. And now what? And nobody knows what. But all Elisha knows, I want the God that he has. At this point right now, he has no promises. And he's been dipping He's been faithfully serving as a second man, as just one of those guys in the background. When you go through and read the story, God's been speaking to Elijah. God's been speaking to Elijah. God's been speaking to Elijah. Nowhere do you find God saying a word to Elisha. Did you get that? How many times have you prayed and begged God, and I just want to know what God wants me to do, and God's not telling me, and I just really need to know, but I'm getting nothing, I'm getting nothing, I'm getting nothing, I'm getting nothing great. You're in great company with the prophet Elisha, 
From what we can tell, God has said nothing. God's just sitting back watching for 10 years to see if that boy will faithfully do what he's supposed to do and just be one of those faithful men. Years ago, I told my church, I said, what we need in this church, this is what we need. We need some pillars. Just some faithful men and faithful women that'll just stand. They don't have to show off. They don't have to be ornate. They don't have to do anything. They'll just faithfully keep coming to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. They'll be there. They'll give and support the thing and just be faithful because that is how great works get built. It's not about the man. It's about the God of the man. And that's what Elisha gets. I, th I think he gets it. So then in the passage, what happens is he sees what Elisha said he, was good, said he may or may not see. Now watch this. I'm just about done. Watch this. He says, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. You know what he's actually doing right now? He's grieving. Elisha's gone. Oh, God, Elisha's gone. I just saw something miraculous. And all of a sudden, the weight of the mantle landed on him. And he's like, oh, my goodness, I don't even think I can actually do this. I don't think I actually want this. You see, he's not a young guy sitting back, chomping at the bit to be recognized. He's not posting his messages on Facebook and Instagram. He's not looking for attention all the time. He's not competing with the sons of the prophets. He's not competing with them. He's like, shut up and leave me alone. I'm following him, not you. And all of a sudden, now at this moment, look what he does. And Elisha threw away the pulpit got out the screen, put together a praise team. Started fitting the culture and became twice as great as Elijah. No, he didn't. He went and picked up that dirty mantle. It had to be dirty. If, I see, if my mind sees Elijah the right way, sure. that rough mantle, he picks it up. And he just says, okay, God, this is how you've always done it. It doesn't matter what everybody else in Israel is doing right now. It doesn't matter. This is how you've always done it. And so, God, if you're still here, would you do it again? All the sons of the prophets are watching. He burned his bridge and supernaturally crossed that river. And now he's standing here unsure of the results but willing to say, look, I'm going to give it a shot because I believe that if God did it for somebody else, God can do it for me. And then he smites that water and that thing parts and he walks across on dry ground. Because you know what he found out? The God that did it for him is the same God that can do it for you. Amen. I'm going I'm to repeat what you said if that's all right. <laughs> Some of you are sitting in here tonight and you've been through some tragedies. You've been through some hard times. And you're still here. And you're here because somebody else that's younger than you 
that has not yet, we don't know, I, I'm not giving you expectations, you don't know what tomorrow holds. But they're going to go through what you've already been through, and they're going to have you to look to when the time comes to say, that old man's still in church. That old man's still serving God. That old man's done this, and he's still got God on him. Hey, man, where is the God that did it for you? Because I'm telling you right now, I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm telling you right now, I don't know how I can get through this. I'm telling you right now, I think I'm done. I'm telling you right now, I, 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 the, my life just changed. And I need the God that you got. Your faithful testimony of just staying in church and sticking with the old stuff is so much more powerful than you even realize. It is God that divvies up the fruit. It is God that plugs people in where he wants, when he wants. And no man can tell you this, that, or the other thing about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying nobody can tell me. I'm not saying it that way. I'm saying you might not even know what God's doing, but only God can do it. And if you want God and that's all you want in your life, then there is no telling what God will do. In other words, God might make you one of those faithful men in church that sits there for many years before you see what God's doing with you. But God's doing something because, folks, we are an army. We're not looking for heroes. We're not looking for preachers that can preach the house down. That is not what made the difference in my life with Brother Lentz. I'm telling you right now, I promise you. It's what God used to get my attention. But that is not how he made the difference in my life. Older preacher told me one time that's still sinking into me. He looked at me and he said, people don't care how good you can preach. Huh? He said, no, your church people don't care about that. They care about how much you love them. They care about whether or not you're going to be a good pastor. That means more to them than whether or not you're the best preacher there is. Oh, you mean there's something more important than us being showboat Christians? Something more important than everybody jockeying for position and elbowing to see who's going to be next? Yeah, there's something much more important. You know what it is? It's the God, the God that gave you a local church in this area. It's the God that called this man to do what he's doing and put him here and has been blessing and using it. The question for you and I is, every day of our life, where is the Lord God of Elijah? In every decision you make, in everything you do, you ought to be asking God,
grace. Those problems just tend to go away when He's there to get you through them. I'm asking you tonight, where are you at with God? How bad do you want God? Is God what it's all about? Are you hungering and thirsting after God? That's the question. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight. Give you an opportunity to respond or turn it over to your preacher. What are you looking for out of your Christian life, my friend? What do you want God to do for you? You got a long list of things you want God to do for you? The Bible says, Blessed are they that keep His testimonies, that seek Him with the whole heart. When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Is it God you want? Or are you just looking for what God can do for you? It ought to be God that we want. And folks, I believe this with all my heart tonight. Like your preacher told me, I think it was back in the office or on the phone or something. If every one of us, if every one of us would just say, we don't care about anything but God Almighty. I want God in my life. I just want God. There is no telling what God could do with a church this size. If everybody just said, God, I have no, I have no list for you. I got no requests for you. I just want your presence. God took a man like that with that genuine desire and did twice the miracles and gave him twice as long of a ministry. What's your desire tonight?